1: Hour two of the program, we've got Ricardo LeCompte coming up here in any minute on the show. Also later this hour, we'll have Ryan Nielsen, defensive line coach, and I had a chance to talk to him with Deuce McAllister. We'll play that for you in a little bit. Plus, a very interesting story coming out of Tiger Rag today, where Scott Woodward, the LSU athletic director, had a conversation with Tiger Rag and explains why he thinks that LSU athletics can, quote, not sustain and, quote, sending millions of dollars to the academic side. Well, There's was very interesting timing by Scott Woodward, who is ever the politician. He knows exactly the timing of this and what he's doing, considering it's coming on the heels of the massive backlash that followed the $28 million new um, football facility, athletics facility, and also the renovated locker rooms. We'll get into that second half of the hour. I don't want to scuttle what we're going to talk to Ricardo LeCompte about, but I think it'll be a very interesting conversation to piggyback on the one that we had here on the air and really on social media that blew up last week. Our Blue Runner Gumbo opinion poll at WWL.com After Cameron Meredith was released, I think this is pertinent. Should the Saints look to sign or trade for a veteran wide receiver. We just got done talking about this on our WWL Radio Facebook page for our 9 o'clock live chat. They are actively trying to find and bring in a veteran running back. They took a look at Theo Riddick yesterday, and then today there were reports that Alfred Morris was on his way in. Well, he didn't get out of Dallas. Alfred Morris signing with the Cowboys. As Ezekiel Elliott's holdout continues. But the Saints now actively looking for a running back. Should they actively be looking for a wide receiver? I like, this, I like this receiving core more than the average bear here. Lots of doom and gloom around the receiving core. And I get it. They weren't very productive last season outside of Michael Thomas. But I think this is a good group. I think this is going be a productive group. But bringing in a veteran wide receiver, certainly in, in my mind anyway, makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. On our Facebook page, On our live chat, Luke Bates Jr. asks, is Des Bryant still with us? No. And Des is, I would be shocked if Des Bryant plays football again. Maybe not, you know, shock comes in levels. I don't know how shocked I'd be, but I'd be surprised to see Des Bryant coming off that injury playing football again, especially here in New Orleans. I think that ship has sailed. Phone line's wide open for you at 504-260-1870. And our text line is... 87870 uh, 70. We were going to have Ricardo LeCompte here. We have Ryan Nielsen. We have that queued up, guys, back there. Let's go ahead. We're a little frazzled here. Let's go ahead and take an early break so we can get things situated away. Let's go ahead and take an early break. We'll try to have Ryan Nielsen coming back. Uh, here on the program uh, my conversation with Deuce McAllister and Ryan Nielsen from yesterday here on the last lap welcome back to the show it's the last lap on WWL Seth Dunlap phone lines are open at 504-260-1870 text lines eight we'll push Ryan Nielsen back just a little bit because we did get a hold of uh, Ricardo LeCompte, sports anchor for WWL TV channel 4 joining the program now at our Lecomte TV on Twitter talking a little Saints camp with Ricardo how you doing man Doing good, Seth. How are you? Look, I'm I'm good. It feels like I guess we're finally into the meat and potatoes of this this camp, dude. No more and pads are on. Uh, no more of these, you know, non-contact nonsense drills, right?
2: Yeah, it, it's it, it gets us that one step closer to the actual football. Um, it, it you know those first couple of days of camp, you're just like, okay, well, you know, at least they're out here reporting, going through the drills, doing it. But once they strap those pads on, and once you get Everybody, you know, the, the competition really starts amping up. So, yeah, it's about time that we've gotten to this point.
1: Uh, Cameron Meredith released today. What do you make of this?
2: Well, it, it's one of those where, you know, you, you kind of look at it. And, and The Saints took a flyer, obviously, on, on a guy that that had uh, knee issues, uh, you know, where Chicago made that same assessment going, well, I don't know if he's going to be able to, you know, continue uh, with that injury. The Saints decided to go ahead and, and – and, take that flyer, get him in there, and unfortunately it just never worked out. And uh, that's just, you know, one thing that they kind of just missed on just in terms of, you know, thinking that he can come in and, and you know, provide that, that inside slot receiver that this offense kind of needed. Uh, luckily, Michael Thomas uh, last year was able to kind of play not only on the outside but also inside in that slot position and, and kind of have production there. But they were hoping Cam Meredith could be that slot receiver Uh, That this offense needed. Unfortunately, it just didn't work out. And it kind of, when you see the Meredith thing not working out, you're almost wondering, man, if the Saints can get rid of Willie Snead, perhaps maybe that was probably the better option of keeping him around instead of banking on Cam Meredith. Um, I think the money kind of worked out where they probably would have offered less to bring back Willie Snead versus going after Cam Meredith. They thought they were going to get an upgrade at that position. It didn't work out, and it's just one of those things where the Saints were wrong there, chalk it up, and move forward.
1: Yeah, move forward. There's uh, some breaking reports just now, everybody listening, that Theo Riddick has narrowed it down to the Saints and the Broncos. It's going to take a day or two to decide where exactly he will go, and that's interesting, Ricardo, because I was going to ask you, well, they're actively looking for a running back on the free agent market. Should they actively be looking for a wide receiver either in free agency or the trade market?
2: I think they should, um, especially – just because you don't know how long this Michael Thomas situation is going to last, uh, you know, there's all this expectation that uh, Michael Thomas will probably you know, get a deal done very soon and then he'll be in camp. But the longer this goes, the longer that you don't see any other deals just around the NFL being done – it's almost like you're kind of almost in a stalemate where the Saints are going to offer what they're going to offer. Michael Thomas and his representatives can kind of pretty much just sit back and, and wait and, and hopefully get a $20 million offer or whatever, you know, we've heard that's being reported. And they can just sit and wait until, you know, the Saints decide to cave in. And if that doesn't happen, then you can have a longer, you know, situation where this whole that lasts longer than you'd expect and maybe into the season. So you would need, you would think the Saints would probably need to address the wide receiver position, If that's the case, Uh, you see Theo Riddick was one of those guys where the Saints were probably just really enamored with a guy who uh, is a dual threat out of the backfield, and it looks like that's kind of the direction they want to use just in terms of just having different weapons out of there when you have Alvin Kamara, when you have Latavius Murray, those types of backs which can get you yards to the tackles, but also be a pass catcher. Dale Reddick could obviously be another weapon you can use in the passing game. Uh, it, it looks like the Saints need to kind of find just more pass catchers simply because they don't know what they're going to get out of the wide receiver position. If Michael Thomas happens to not, you know, this thing glass through the regular season, he doesn't end up playing. Where are you going to get the production in the wide receiver position? Maybe you get it in other positions. Um, but, yeah, I, I do agree with you, Seth. I, I think they should focus their attention on maybe finding another wide receiver, especially this Michael Thomas situation continues on.
1: Ricardo Lecomte of WWL TV joining us. Which of these young receivers have you been most impressed by? Uh, Emmanuel Butler, Cyril Grayson, and a little Jordan Humphrey was better today. Which one, which one are you liking right now?
2: Uh, I I think two guys. And I I really like Cyril Grayson just because of the, not only, uh, he just has so much speed and he can be a guy that could, that could, you know, that, that has a little experience in the NFL, um, and, again, that speed is just something you can clamor over. And he's been making plays, you know, in, in these first four days of camp. Also, the fact that you could also throw in there as a punt returner. We all know that the Saints are looking for something, some type of spark in the return game. You know, they brought in Marcus Sherrills in the offseason to kind of, you know, upgrade that position. But it's still great to you know, make this roster as a wide receiver and also show they can maybe contribute as either a kick returner or a punt returner show off that speed. then now would be a great pickup for that. But just his skill set alone is something that that's very impressive. As for Emmanuel Butler, the undrafted rookie out of Northern Arizona, this guy has been making plays all camp long so far, and it's and it's one of those things where I, I want to see what he does in a regular season game. We'll get the opportunity to see that next Friday. But this guy is, is a big type of uh, receiver, a, a big body, something that uh, Sean Payton and, and this offense really really likes to have in their offense. And and just the other day, I, I kind of like the comparison of of one of the uh, – when we were talking to Emmanuel Butler and he was telling us a, sh- a story about being in the NFL PA Bowl and one of the St. Scouts were saying that he kind of reminded him of a Marcus Colston. And I could kind of see that a little bit, just not only in terms of the size and the ability that he's able to play with, but also the fact that he comes from an FCS school. He, you know, Marcus Colson was a seventh-round draft pick. He was undrafted. But just a guy that nobody kind of saw – but in his first training camp was able to kind of turn heads and get the attention of the coaches and actually show out and show he could play and then earn himself a roster spot. He's kind of following that same line. I'm not saying he's the next Marcus Folson, but so far it's kind of one of those things where it's like, man, we can almost see history repeating itself. uh, If you, if Emmanuel Butler turns out to be what, everybody thinks and everybody sees so far that he can't be
1: yeah he's been good and i think the entire saints fandom and, and media uh, conglomerate has have their eyes squarely on him at camp now seeing if he will be that next marcus colston ricardo lacomps part of this crew at wwl tv channel four and ricardo i know you guys around the water cooler have these real big conversations what, what's been this the story outside of some stuff and then the conversation outside of some of the stuff we've already talked about with doug and and andrew and everybody over there
2: well, we're kind of interested in a couple of things. We we were we were saying that on uh, the Saints' defensive line, who was going to be that kind of breakout guy this year? And all of us agree that the Saints need Marcus Davenport to have a phenomenal season, just being that other rush end uh, to uh, Cam Jordan uh, on that defensive line. And and, and and this is and this is the time to kind of do it. He was hurt last year, so you really didn't get to see him at his full potential. But in those games that he was able to play, in those, like, just brief glimpses that you would see, you're, you, you would just be amazed by his, his speed, his power, his ability there at the DN. But he's got to have a huge year um, as a pass rusher opposite of Cam Jordan because you don't have Sheldon Rankins for at least the first half of this season. You're kind of going in there untested at your DTs trying to figure that out just in terms of is David Anyamati going to step in there? What about Malcolm Brown coming in? Could he be a contributor? Uh, is Taylor Stallworth going to make leaps uh, in his uh, second season here on that Saints defensive line? But we are all in agreement that Marcus Davenport is that guy that's got to have that breakout year on the defensive line. And the other thing we were talking about staying with the Hog Mollies was the battle at center. And I think all of us are kind of in agreement that Eric McCoy, they need the guy who, who, who can kind of seize that position. Now, they've been running a lot of guys in center, uh, running in terms of Cam Tom in there, and also Nick Easton, who's also a guy that you can kind of rotate and guard as well. But Eric McCoy is that guy that he's a rookie who's the, the second-round pick. You obviously think that if you going to draft someone that high, just at that position, that he's going to be the one stepping in for the retired Max Unger. But that's also the position we're kind of looking at, just simply because you had such stability there with Unger. Now that he's gone, You're throwing a rookie in there, and we're going to see if that offensive line doesn't miss a beat. Uh, in this upcoming season,
1: it's interesting you mentioned Marcus Stavenport because I'm almost in lockstep with all you guys. I think that he might be the most critical piece on this team outside of Drew Brees because if he doesn't get double-digit sacks or close to it, especially with Sheldon Rankin out, so no Alex Okafor, I just have no idea where the pass rush is going to come from. And he's got to be that guy, Ricardo. I think that every player and everybody around the Saints keeps telling us that he's going to be you know a star in the making since he was drafted last year.
2: Yeah, and and, and when you when you move up and you take someone in the first round like that and, and you're expecting that type of production, everybody's been saying that. Just if you talk to Ryan Nielsen, if you talk to Sean Payton, um, if you talk to Dennis Allen, all of them are expecting uh, Marcus Davenport to make that next step. And if you put invested so much into uh, a guy like that, especially, as you said, you know, Okafor, those you know, Sheldon rankings on that line this year, where are you going to get the production at uh, in terms of quarterback pressures and, and just being a run-stopper outside of Cam Jordan? Davenport is the guy who has to step up. Absolutely. It's
1: Ricardo LeCompte of WWL TV channel four at our LeCompte TV on Twitter. Follow him there. Uh, Ricardo, you know what the, they got working tonight for the 10 o'clock news.
2: Uh, yeah, we've got a, a got another camp update from uh, Andrew Doak. Of course, we're going to be talking about the Cam Meredith situation and just some observations and plays of the day from uh, the four training camp uh, and, and and pretty much all, all the saints stuff that you need and, not only do we have that also on air, but we also have all of that stuff online, on our social media stuff, just so plenty of Saints coverage because we are in that time of year, right, Seth? Yeah,
1: yeah, we really are. Ricardo, always appreciate the time, man. We'll talk to you again. See you after camp. All right, Seth. All right, there he goes, Ricardo LeCompte. Phone lines are open for you now, 504-260-1870. Our text lines eight Let's go to the phone line, Pierre. Welcome to yeah. the show, Pierre. Oh. Well, Pierre's not ready. We'll put Pierre on hold. Pierre's having a conversation with somebody else. How about Dexter in uh, New Orleans? Dexter, welcome to the show.
0: Yes, this is Dexter. Look, here. you You was talking earlier about Seattle. You don't think they're going to be ready this year. Well,
1: I didn't say that, actually. I said that Seattle, I think, is going to be good. I just had them just on the outside of the playoff picture looking
2: in.
0: Okay, well, well, last year they said the same thing about Seattle. And if it wouldn't have been for the field goal kick and missing three field goals in three games – we would have been in the playoffs and not a wild
1: card, right? That was two years ago, Dexter. Two no, years De- no, two years ago. You're, you're talking to somebody who you forgets from Seattle. It was two All years right. ago that Blair Walsh missed three field goals and they should have been in the playoffs last no, I'm year. Talking
0: about last year we had that old kicker that missed three field. I, I, what goals. what's I his know... name?
1: You know so much about Seattle. What's that old kicker's name, Dexter?
0: Man, I don't know the old kicker's name, but I know he ain't worth crap. I know that.
1: Sebastian, <laughs> what was I, I know that. It was so Sebastian Janikowski. Dexter, right. Dexter. Lost- okay, Dexter. De- we're not going to shout over each other. I will say this, Dexter. Do you know what I said about Seattle last year before the season? What you say? I said that they would be a wild card team when nobody else was saying that. And guess what? They were a wild card team.
0: And this year, you all have just got to walk in their stadium, and they're going to get beat. The third game
1: of opening season. They might. Look, they might, Dexter. That's a tough place to play, if not the toughest place to play in the National Football League. I'm not saying New Orleans is going to go up there and it's going to be a cakewalk, but there's no Jaron Reed. There's no Frank Clark on that defense. There's no real threat at receiver outside of Tyler Lockett now that Doug Baldwin has retired. They've got a good offensive line. Now they've got Russell Wilson. They've got some pieces, young pieces on that defense. But let's not act like this is the Legion of Boom reinvented. I like Seattle. I think Seattle is a 9-7, 10-6 team with some luck. Maybe they get up to 11 wins. And I also think they'll be on the playoff periphery. But let's not act like Seattle is some Goliath that New Orleans is going to have, you know, one hell of a time beating. I haven't made my prediction for that game. We'll see. Remember, that is the back-to-back weeks, which is going to help Seattle. they got to go, the Saints do, to Los Angeles and then up to Seattle. But let's be honest here, Dexter. New Orleans is a more talented team, a vastly more talented team, on paper. On paper doesn't win you games, but on paper, that's it. So I don't want you to twist my words into some Seattle hater. In fact, in my my decade here, that's the first time I think I've ever had anybody insinuate I'm, I'm a Seattle Seahawks hater. So I guess that's a change. <laughs> Thanks for listening, though, Dexter. Uh, let's go back to Pierre. Pierre, are you ready this time?
0: I am ready, Seth. I'm so sorry.
3: You called me to some business.
1: No, that's fine. What's up, dude?
3: Uh, I want to talk about uh, Michael Thomas. Um, as far as the, the holdout, um, I kind of seen it coming. I asked somebody I actually was actually talking about it uh, back in May. Wondering if he was going to hold out, and he ended up, you know, that that's what he ended up doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, but well, what's your point? You just thought he was going to, you just thought he was going to hold out, and he did. I mean, we could have seen that coming from years away.
3: No, actually, I wanted to make that comment, but I had a question. Do you think that um, with him holding out, uh, is that going to help the other receivers basically with more reps, uh, maybe you know, getting them ready for the season?
1: Yeah, do I think it's? I don't think it. I don't really think it matters. I mean, that's just my honest opinion on this. Pierre is, I don't think it matters, and that may sound like I'm. I've got my own head in the sand. With Michael Thomas, but I, I just, I really don't think it matters because Drew Brees and Michael Thomas are going to have that connection that they had the first three. First three years of his career when he comes back. And remember, there's this soft deadline of August 6th for Michael Thomas to report because if he doesn't report by then, this will not count as a year of service in the NFL towards his free agency. So he would become not an unrestricted free agent, but a restricted free agent if he does not report by August 6th. So I expect to see Michael Thomas in camp then. Maybe he continues his holdout after that shows up to camp for a couple of days and then he could. By the rules for the CBA, I'd certainly even expect that to happen if there's no deal done. But from everything that we've heard, everything we've heard, from Sean Payton, from Mickey Loomis, even the leaks and reports we've got from the agent side for Michael Thomas and and behind the scenes in New Orleans, this deal is going to get done. Now, I'm on record saying I don't know if I would pay. In fact, I don't think I would pay any receiver 10-plus percent of the salary cap in the NFL, but I'm not making that decision. I'm just here – Reporting on and talking about what I'm hearing and seeing, and it certainly seems like the Saints are going to get this done well in advance of the season. But it's a good question. Thanks for listening, Pierre. I always appreciate the call. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Ryan Nielsen, defensive line coach. Big year for him and his group. Deuce and I had a chance to sit down and chat with Ryan yesterday. We'll play that for you. You know, it's always interesting in the new age of media and uh, social media, the anonymity that comes with that can can be freeing. I don't mind it sometimes. You know, you don't have to put your face and name behind everything that you do online. I think that isn't necessarily on its face a bad thing. But what it does, it lends to uh, some people, well, taking shots at people in public. We see it all the time on social media, right? These these anonymous, what I think are cowards, taking shots at Michael Thomas or Drew Brees or Sean Payton or the Saints or whoever it is. We get these textures to the show quite a bit. There's a texture from the 504, uh, 1598, the last four digits, who texts the show, almost every day with vulgar insults to the show. And I finally, I'm just going to ask this person, call the show 1598 because you're cowardly. He, he insults me. He insults Christian. He insults everybody on the station and uh, never puts his name behind it and never calls in. And uh, he's a coward. He's a coward. Uh, I going to read you his text from the 504. Your show sucks and so does Bobby Bear. So does the music. Oh, and I don't watch TV. Radio is my go-to media. Yeah, well, call in and say that because you're just a coward. You won't put your name behind that. And I like the back and forth with people who are a little negative, but not the anonymous negativity. Uh, Let's get back to Ryan Nielsen, the defensive line coach. Boy, he's he's kind of a a rock star there on the defense. And that, that unit, that defensive coaching staff, very consistent, a lot of cohesion there, considering they've been together for a few seasons now. Deuce McAllister and I yesterday, after practice, had a chance to chat with Ryan Nielsen. Here's that interview. Three, two, Deuce by... All right, that was yesterday. Great conversation with the defensive line coach. And, yeah, he has his work cut out for him, considering what they've lost or won't have at the start of the season. Alex Okafor gone, Marcus Stavenport now expected to start and play a majority of the snaps in his stead. No Sheldon Rankins, probably the first half of the season. I would think he's on pup and he'll be designated for return in week eight, but we'll see. It's going to be a big job for Ryan Nielsen. Great guy and uh, very forthcoming in all of his answers there. Let me take a break. We're going to quickly step away from Saints camp, not for too long, but at least for a segment or two, to talk about what Scott Woodward, the LSU athletic director, said today to Tiger Rag, saying, well, the LSU athletic department, can no longer sustain supporting the academic side financially. We'll get into that when we come back on the last lap. So we're taking just a quick break away from Saints coverage. We'll get back to it in hour number three. We'll have Brian Baldinger on the program. Zach Streif and I had a conversation. We'll stay tuned for that. But very interesting stuff coming out of the LSU Athletic Department today when Scott Woodward, the athletic director, had a conversation and an interview published at TigerAg.com. Titled, uh, Woodward on Fundraising Policy. We cannot sustain what we are currently doing. That's the title. Again, you can find it at tigerag.com. And he said in this article, very intriguing stuff relating to just how much money that the LSU athletic side gives to the academic side. And he's right. And this is something I mentioned on my show. Between 2012 and 2017, LSU athletics gave nearly $50 million to the academic side of the university under a policy with LSU that kind of mandates the revenue splitting. Revenue sharing, I should say, from the athletic side to the academic side. Now, here's what Scott Woodward said that was very intriguing on this. Quote, it's something that's very dangerous when universities rely on recurring money, especially from an auxiliary like the athletic department. So, no, I think, while... I will always support the university in some form or fashion. We cannot sustain what we are currently doing. End quote there. Now, I actually agree with Scott Woodward, at least his first part there. Universities that rely on the athletic side for big-time monetary contributions, something's out of whack and out of balance, which frankly, is exactly what I said and wrote about last week when you had the whole brouhaha over the new building and locker room, $28 million building and locker room, when libraries and other parts are falling apart over on the academic side. He's right. You need a steady stream of revenue and donations from alumni and others going to the actual university, not just the athletic side. Here's where I disagree with Scott Woodward, and I disagree vehemently with Scott Woodward. Apparently, although I'd like to have a conversation with him about this, and we'll try to get him on my show later this week. I know we're going to be working on that. But the athletic side of any university in college sports is by its nature intrinsically tied to the actual university it is a branch of the university it is not a separate entity not how it's constructed now maybe it should be i've b- discussed that a lot over the last decade where maybe it's time for the athletics to completely break away from the athletic university uh, the ac- you know the ac- the uh, university the academic university and it needs to be structured in some different way. That's way down the road. That's not something you can just snap your fingers and have happen overnight. But if you are tied to the university like you are, saying outright, and and I'm not sure the nuance on this is why I want Scott Woodward on the show. And I'm not. Uh, this certainly is no shot at Scott Woodward because, like I said, I agree wholeheartedly with what he said in the first part. But making a statement that well, we can't really keep contributing to the academic side. We can't sustain what we're currently doing. First of all, Scott Woodward is a politician by nature. Remember, he started here in the Louisiana legislature before he went up to the University of Washington and other places before coming back. He knows exactly what he's doing, saying this and giving this interview a week after this dust-up over the new locker room and new building. When you're making money hand over foot as an athletic department, I am sorry It is your responsibility to give back to the university that allows you to even have those programs. It just is. And I know what LSU fans are going to call and text about, are going to say, well, it's not the athletic department's responsibility. Athletics are separate. The the academic side, the university needs to get their gear together. F. King Alexander, he's got to figure it out on his side. This isn't a Scott Woodward athletic department problem. Well, I kind of agree with that. It's not. But here's the thing. If you're given $10 million a year or so from the athletic side to the academic side, and you're saying you can no longer do that when you're making more money, getting more donations than ever before, I mean, what are you saying here? You needed a $38 million facility instead of a $28 million facility because of this arms race that's never going to end in college football and college athletics? I mean, we've reached the point of just extreme excess in college sports. Eric Reed said this. Others have said it. I don't blame anybody, and I'm not going to tell anybody how to spend or donate their private money. I would never do that. I don't have a problem with the locker room on its face. I don't have a problem with the donations on its face at all. But I will say, just like Eric Reed said, this is excess of the worst kind. You don't need sleeping pods in a locker room space age stuff that's not necessary it's cool it helps recruiting but that's not necessary they already had some of the best locker rooms in the entire country better at least according to eric reed than pretty much any other nfl locker room love to get scott woodward on to talk about this but just a blanket statement that well we can't really give to the academic side anymore. Acting like it's the athletic side that runs a university, and that's just kind of why I would take away from this, I think is... Frankly, I think it's dangerous to talk like that. I think it's dangerous to talk about like that. And like I said last week on the air, and I wrote about it, I am in sports media for a reason. I love athletics. I love sports. I love college athletics. It's a passion of mine. It's the reason that I've been working in this industry and wanted to work in this industry since I was young. I've been working in this industry now for two decades. But education is way too important. College education, post-secondary education, way too important to have that take a backseat to college sports just because... We like the escapism of college football or college basketball or whatever college sports it is. So this conversation is not going away, but I just hope that we have as a society, this is not an LSU problem. This is a societal problem. I firmly believe it, that we need to reevaluate our priorities where well, it's not that big of a deal if the, if the athletic program is given back to the academic side. I mean, are we really saying that's a, that's a big deal now? That when LSU, what was their profit last year? Something like fifty-eight million dollars, something like that. That's off the top of my head. We're saying that giving ten million of that back to the academic side is too much. Priorities, folks. Priorities are upside down, and this isn't about one school, one person, one university. Just upside down on this, and you're never going to get me to come off of that. love to hear what you would say on this, 504-260-1870. That's 504-260-1870. Text lines, 870-870. What do you say? Give us a call. Shoot me a text. The last lap continues after this. text this is a fire text from the 504 the message lsu is sending is clear if you're a gifted athlete any sport there's no better place in the country than lsu however if you're gifted academically you may wish to look elsewhere because that's not lsu's priority that may sound harsh from the 504 but that that kind of summarizes how i feel I, i have to say i feel very similarly and I just think it's unfortunate. You don't have to take away from the athletic side, in my mind, from what's going on to prop up the academic side. Why, why can't LSU be this shining academic institution with money flowing hand over fist and donors and, and alumni giving back like they do on the athletic side? You can have both. This isn't a one or the other scenario, not in my mind. Let's go to the phone lines on this. Ann Gentilli. what say you?
0: Hi. How are you this evening?
1: I'm great, Ann. How about you?
0: Oh, fine. I was calling because I totally agree with you. I'm, I'm just so disappointed with LSU right now. And it's, it's like a, a disgrace for the state of Louisiana because, you know, the whole country knows, you know, about the whole situation and i feel any school is a whole okay yes i understand they have different sections different departments different majors i understand all of that but at the end of the day a un- the university is a whole and it should be treated as such
1: yeah i'm with you ann i'm with you and i don't i don't really think you have to again you, know, you don't have to drag down the athletic side to bring up the academic side but remember LSU, last in percentage of alumni that donate to the university. They're also the only school, at least a couple of years ago they were, that have more people and more money donated to the athletic program than the academic program. And that scares me. And, again, I'm a sports guy. I'm on a sports talk show and work in sports for a reason. But, Ann, that, that scares me to death. That scares me to death as, as a human, frankly. And what is the, the
0: purpose of this? Are they really trying to outdo Alabama? Yeah. Um, and, but that's, that don't make any sense. Yes. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. And how do the other students and, and faculty supposed to feel? How are they supposed to feel? Well, Lord, y'all don't care. Y'all don't even much care about us.
1: That's kind of what – and I get that's what Robert Mann, the LSU professor, that certainly kind of sparked this – and got Joe Burrow tweeting back at him. I never saw any animus from Professor Mann towards the athletic program or any of the players. He's just saying, "Look at us over here. We're struggling a little bit." And that's that's kind of what I think, too. And I just it, it even when I talk about this right now, I'm I'm getting I'm starting to feel a little bit pessimistic about this whole situation because I I, I, at least I think I know how the vast majority of the audience is listening right now is thinking I think well I don't care I mean this is this is a lot to do about nothing this isn't a, a sports problem this is the academic side this is F King Alexander this is a state issue this is a federal education department issue maybe it's all those things maybe it's all those things but Scott Woodward is what we're talking about, saying today in an interview with TigerAg.com that it's dangerous when universities rely on money from the athletic department. I would agree with him there. actually agree with him a lot there. But the part that I don't agree with him is saying, well, basically, and I'm paraphrasing here, that the LSU athletic department, again, who is making money hand over foot, well, not going to be able to give back to the academic side the university side uh like they're doing any longer can't sustain that scott woodward said i don't i don't really understand what he means when you can't sustain that i guess maybe he's just projecting that the athletic side won't make money like this for eternity and he's right there again so i'd love to get scott's talk on the program to talk about this we're going to try to make that happen a little later this week great conversation let's go to michael in covington we got about a minute left michael what's up
3: Um, hi, um, I am a student. I went to high school in Covington and I looked at LSU to go to college there, Mm -hmm. but because of the way they set up their scholarships and even with tops, it was more lucrative for me to go to Alabama because Alabama puts a lot more money into their scholarships. And if you had a 32 on your ACT, you got a full ride and, um, I mean, I understand that they put a lot of money into their sports programs, especially into the football, but they put a lot of money into the campus as well. Like, just this summer, when I go back in the fall, we'll have, I think, four or five brand-new buildings renovated, nice. Like, structural-wise, I'm an engineering major, mm-hmm. and structural-wise, like, the classrooms are nice, our um teachers and professors and our resources are all good
1: yeah and michael we're up against a hard break here but but i get it and yeah if you're making that much money athletically let's grow the academic side with that thanks for the call